0: Why don't you get your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and then if you're a professional Bible turner, you can mark Psalm 23, and if you don't have a Bible, no condemnation, no guilt, don't worry about it. We have two huge Bibles on either side of me. We're going to put all the passages up there for you, and while you're turning, let me let me welcome those who are watching online. Can we welcome those? If you're watching online, we're so glad. Whether you're watching um, YouTube, Facebook, on our website, mypathway.church, we're so glad that you're joining us today and glad to have you wish you. A very Merry Christmas. Um, Yeah, always great to have everyone joining us. And uh, it's great to have you guys here as well well. Amen. How many are ready for the word of God? You, you came needing God to speak. How many, you know, you, a lot of times you get out of church, what you put into it. And if you're sitting here, you know, sometimes we go, I was just not getting a lot out of church. I would say, well, what are you putting in it? You know I mean? If, you know, if you don't prepare your heart before you come, you walk in 30 minutes late, um, you hadn't thought about God, haven't asked God to speak. You're not putting a demand on God, a draw on God. Then, then a lot of times, yeah, you're not, not going to get a lot out of it. But if you get up and say, man, this this is the day God has made and I'm going to the house of the Lord and I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. And God, I know today you have a word and and I have a need and I'm going through something. God, I need to hear from you. I'm tired of hearing from my auntie and my uncle and my cousin and the guy. Well, God, I need a word from you and I bet you have a word. And if you come like that, you'll get something. Is there anybody come like that this morning? I believe God has a word, and so in in Matthew chapter 1, we are in a series called The God of Christmas Present. The God of Christmas Present, and we're talking about the fact that God is with us in whatever we're presently going through. And and if if you were smart, you figured out this is a play off a Christmas carol, because there's a ghost of Christmas past, and a ghost of Christmas present, and a ghost of Christmas present future, and before you're like, oh my God, he's talking about ghosts, it's the devil, it's Satanism, no, just hang on, I, I sanctified it, there's a Holy Ghost of Christmas past, and there's a Holy Ghost of Christmas present, and there's a Holy Ghost of Christmas future, are you with me? And so we just want to know, I, I just had this simple message during the holiday season that God is with you no matter what it looks like. And so we started a couple of weeks ago with God is with you in the storm. And then uh, last week, Pastor Mark brought, didn't he bring a great word about how God is with you in the battle? That God is with you in the battle. And so I'm going to continue that idea. So we're going to read kind of our key passage. Uh, this is where the angel is announcing the birth of Jesus to Joseph. And so the angel is coming to Joseph to say, hey, this, this is really something I'm doing. And here's my plan. And, and then the angel quotes from Isaiah the prophet. And this is the verse, Psalm 123. It's quoted actually from Isaiah. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name. Everyone say it. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated. Translated. Everybody say it. God with us. Yeah, He is with us. He is the God of Christmas present. And so now, if you want to jump to Psalm twenty-three, this is um, this is one of those famous, 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 famous passages. A lot of times, you you may hear this at, at funerals, but it's a famous passage. In fact, when I was growing up. Um, we we actually I think believed that that at least I kind of felt this way that that when you when you met Saint Peter at the gate of heaven he was going to ask you do you know John three sixteen and can you quote Psalm twenty three and if you couldn't quote both those verses or you didn't know them you may or may not get to go in the gates right you know and that's just the way I'm, anyways not really but we we I, I learned Psalm twenty three as a child and and um, it is a powerful powerful Psalm and sometimes we overlook some of the meat of the Psalm because of the familiarity that we have with it. And to me, this is the danger of just getting into a a, a ritualistic kind of checklist mindset of reading the Word of God, is that you actually miss stuff because you think you've read it. And that's why I always encourage you, don't read the Bible like you've read it. Read it like you've never read it. Right. And so in Psalm 23, let's, let's just read it together. Psalm 23 is just six verses. The whole Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, verse four is our text. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, I'm going to talk about God is with us in our valleys, and I called this message the light in shadow valley, the light in shadow valley. Could, could we pray? God, we are so grateful that you are our shepherd and God, you are with us and you are leading God and you are guiding. And there may be times, God, that, that we, um, we, we can't see you. And there may be times, God, that we have questions, but God, this is what we know from your word. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. God, when we can't see you, help us still to sense you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Um, the psalmist is, is writing, this is David. This psalm was probably, most people believe, written towards the end or parts of his life. In other words, it's not a, it's not a psalm. Some of the psalms are written as songs of adoration and praise, like, like we would write worship songs. That's how we get some of the psalms. David wrote a lot of the psalms. There are also psalms written by other people. The sons of Korah, Asaph, Moses has a psalm. I mean, a lot of people wrote psalms, but, but David writes a lot of them, and a lot of them are songs of adoration and praise. This is a little bit different because this is a song, psalm more, more of reflection. In other words, this is someone who has walked with the Lord for some distance, and, and they are now looking back on their life and the life they've lived and how God has been with them in the different parts of their life. And so this Psalm really becomes more about the ebbs and flows of life than just one moment. This is, this is him looking back and, and, and thinking through his life and saying, yep, God, you, you are my shepherd. And, and that's why I've never been in want. And God, you've led me, uh, beside the still waters and, and you've led me God through the green pastures and God, you have restored my soul. Probably he's thinking, God, when, when, Bathsheba happened, and I repented, yet, God, you still restored my soul. When I messed up, God, you restored my soul. When I was left out of, of, of the meeting with the prophet Samuel, you restored my soul from rejection. I think he's just, God, you restored my soul. And then I think he gets replaced, he said, even God, when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, God, I remember you were with me. And you comforted me, and you you protect. And so he is talking about the ebbs and flows in life. And wouldn't it be great in life if life was just mountaintop to mountaintop? Wouldn't that in that and and sometimes I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes I think we have unrealistic expectations about how life is supposed to go. Because people have have said to me, and and the good people, but stuff happens, and they think this kind of stuff's not supposed to happen to us. We've served the Lord. We've, we've tithed and we've served and we've given and we've helped and we've prayed and we've studied and we've led. This kind of stuff's supposed to happen to other people. Remember when we talked about storms, we, we said, you know, the, the disciples seemed surprised by the storm. And what we said was maybe they were naive enough to think that because Jesus was in their boat, that would preclude them from ever entering a storm. And I think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. And what the psalmist is telling us, what David is telling us is, look, if you live life long enough, there's going to be green pasture. There's going to be quiet waters, but there's going to be a valley that looks like death. And this is just part of the ebb and flow of life. And so he gives us this imagery of the valley of the shadow of death. What you may not realize is there is a real valley of the shadow of death in Jerusalem. It actually falls uh, between, it's east of the temple area, between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. It's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's also, that's kind of its alias, it's also known as the Kidron Valley, which you can see throughout scripture, the Kidron Valley. Um, It's a very steep and and very deep valley, and it's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death because um, the impoverished, a lot of them are buried. A lot of people are buried in this all the way up the valley wall. There's just grave and tomb and tomb and grave and grave and tomb and tomb, all the way up there. And so, so it's, it, it literally is a valley full of death. It, it, it actually runs from, from Jerusalem toward the Dead Sea. It, it covers 20 miles. It runs for 20 miles. And, and, it, and it actually descends 4,000 feet. And it is so steep and so deep that even when the sun is directly overhead, it's still full of shadows. In some places, it's not more than 15 feet wide. It's actually called the valley of the shadow of death. David would have been familiar with it. And and what you may not understand is he is writing about life experience because when Absalom took control, his son took control of the kingdom, David had to escape Jerusalem and he would have had to escape through the valley of the shadow of death. So he is writing from, this is not a man with a theory. This is a man with an experience. I have found that a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with a theory. Right? When people talk to me about God who do not know him and do not understand why we worship, why we pray, why we serve, why we give, why we're in church on Sunday when we should be out watching a movie or 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 why we should be out shopping and then I, I, because there is no God and you're I'm like, "Oh no, 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 no. You have a theory." I've met him. I have an experience. And I'm sorry, a man with an experience. Need not listen to a man with a new theory. So, so Dave is talking, he is talking from, from experience. And here's what he says, in life, there's going to be valleys. There's going to be low places. There's going to be depressed areas. There's going to be dark places. He said, this is just, this is just part of going through life. So you can't get from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop unless you go through a valley he's saying this is just how life is God didn't make the valleys in fact what he's telling you is God didn't make the valley he just leads you through it if you're taking notes you may want to write this down whether you're in a valley or not you'll probably see someone tomorrow that is this would be helpful to give to them but I would write this down and this is where I would start is that valleys are the rule not the exception that's what he was really telling us. He said, he didn't say, if I walk through a valley. He said, when, when I walk through the valley, when I, remember, this is about life. In fact, Deuteronomy eleven, eleven, God actually tells Israel, he says, the promised land, get this, the promised land is a land of hills and there are valleys in the promised land. In other words, you can step out of slavery and into Christ and come through the wilderness and step into the promise and even following God into the promise, there are still gonna be some low places. But it's okay, Garth, you've got friends. (laughs) In low places. Um, What I love about the word of God and the reason I encourage you to read the word on your own and, and don't just let this be your one meal a week, I love that you listen to the podcast or you watch the video or that you're here on the weekend. I love all of that, or that you stream, or whatever the case may be. And I know you're only streaming if there's just no way for you to get here. That's what I know about us. We would never use the stream as an excuse to stay home because God would blow up our new TV if we did that. And so, <laughs> you know, I gotta have some fun. So, anyways, but 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 um but but um what I, what I know is that we have to study the word of God and it's not just enough to get a message in our, 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 our podcast, but you gotta get into the word for yourself. And the word speaks to every part of life. And so I looked through the word of God and I found four valleys. Now there are lots of valleys. There's a valley of trouble, valley of decision, valley of weeping. There's lots of valleys mentioned in the Bible, but God gives us pictures of things that we're probably gonna encounter, not because he put them there, but because they exist. And to get from one place to another, eventually you're gonna pass through one. And so I found four valleys that are, I think are most common that everyone in life are probably going to walk through one of these valleys at least once. And so I just want to show you these four valleys really quickly. Number one is the Valley of Siddim. The Valley of Siddim in Genesis 14, it talks about the Valley of Sidum. Uh In fact, it's this big war that happens with nine armies. If you watch Lord of the Rings, the, it kind of culminates with the Battle of Five Armies. But this is the Battle of Nine. I tried to watch the Lord of the Rings, I did, but but I just, I felt like it would never end, you know? And I, I have ADD and I could only sleep so much through it And so I didn't get all the way to the battle of five armies. In fact, I was like, Hobbit, can you move any faster? Like, we got to get to the end of this thing, Jesus. And so, but if you're a fan, that's okay. You understand it this big battle of five. Anyways, this is the battle of nine armies. And so the two most popular cities or regions that are going to be in this battle are, are Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah and three other armies basically said, we're not paying taxes to this other alliance. It's all over taxes. Praise God. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, so there's a lot, of, never mind. And so, so these four armies decide to come against Sodom and Gomorrah and they have these other uh, three armies. So it's a battle of the nine armies. And, 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 and this is what it says in Genesis 14 verse 10, it says, now the Valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the Kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled to the hills. And the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. Watch verse 12. Then also they carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. Look at this. Since he was living in Sodom in the valley of Siddim. Now some of you may remember Sodom and Gomorrah had a bad reputation. It was the Las Vegas of the Old Testament. It was Sin City. All types of perversion, sex, everything else. It, it was a bad place. And you may be wondering, well, what was Abram's Abraham, that's Abram, Abram's nephew Lot, who who came out and followed Abram, supposed to be following him to the promised land. What is he doing in Sin City? What's he doing stuck in Sin City? The Bible says that Abram and Lot, their their sheep couldn't get along, so they decided to divide his first church split. Sorry, that was funny. Anyway, it's pastor joke. And so, so they decided to do a divide. And Lot, the Bible says, Abraham, Lot, Lot went one way, Abraham the other. And the Bible says that Lot pitched his tents, get this, toward Sodom. We know Sodom and Gomorrah was eventually destroyed by fire and brimstone. In fact, if you've ever heard fire and brimstone preaching, this is where that terminology comes from. It was destroyed by fire and brimstone. In fact, do you know where Sodom and Gomorrah is today? It's the Dead Sea. Yeah. Like he got buried and covered up with water. And it's the Dead Sea. So anyways, so what is, what, what happens? So Abram, Lot divided, Lot says he pitched his sin. You better watch wh- where you put your focus. Because he didn't start out in Sodom. He just pitched his tent that way. What did Paul say? Make no provision for the flesh. Because you may pitch your tent one way one day and end up stuck in a tar pit in the valley of sin the next day. Because that's what Sodom is. It's the valley of sin. And so the battle starts and the people from Sodom and Gomorrah are trying to escape and they slip and they fall and they get stuck in tar pits. Isn't that kind of how we get stuck in the valley of sin? Like, first we kind of pitched our tent, like, wonder how close I could get to this. Oh, you're not going to help me with this, are you? You're just going to leave me out here like I'm the only one that's ever messed up. How close can we get to this? And before we know it, we're living in it. And before we know it, we've slipped, we've fallen, and now we're stuck in a place that's embarrassing, and it's a valley, and there's guilt, and there's shame, and there's condemnation, and what looked like it was going to be fun, and what looked like it was going to be okay, now we're scared anyone's going to find out. And now we're in a valley. Because we pitched our tent in the wrong direction. So, this valley, valley, I'll just move that one. I can tell you don't like that valley. I'll just move on to the next one. I, uh, no, I hear you. I hear you. And so, anyway, you know. Second valley, second valley, the valley of Eshcol, the valley of Eshcol. This is in Numbers 13. This is where God brings Israel out of Egypt. Moses leads them across the Red Sea. They spend about two years. Um, Two years uh, getting to Mount Sinai, and then from Mount Sinai, they head towards the promised land. They're now at the border of the promised land, and, and Moses sends in 12 spies, the two famous spies, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, hey, this is our land. God has given us, like this is a buffet. It's spread out for us like a buffet. They said, it is meat to us. Let us go and and, and take possession of what God has, has promised but then there's some problems. We'll read at Numbers thirteen twenty three. It says, when they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. Time out. I have a theory that there's peanut butter in the promised land. And this is proof. Because... Let's think about it. If you have peanut butter, what do you need? Well, sometimes you need grape jelly. What else was it said? Milk and honey. All of those things go with peanut butter. Sometimes you have to learn to extrapolate, to exegete the truth of the gospel. Hey Amen. There's probably a cocoa tree somewhere in there too, man. Now we're about to get some rhesus and God is on the throne. The devil's a liar. Verse 31 says, says, but the other men who had explored the land with them. Now notice this in the Bible, you don't ever want to be known as the other men. That's not, no, that's not the label you want. It says the other men, the other, the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. they said, we can't go against them. They're stronger than we are. They spread this bad report. The word of God says, the land we travel through and explore will devour anyone that goes in there to live. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Enoch. And next to them, look, next to them, we felt. Let I mean, know your feelings will lie to you. you. That's why you need the word of God. Amen. Right? You may not feel like God's near. That doesn't mean anything other than it's dark. Amen. Anyways, they felt like grasshoppers. And look at this. And that's what they thought. Now, how did they know what they thought? How did they know that? I have a rule a lot of times with the staff. I'm like, I'll tell you how we have problems it's when you start thinking that they think. i tell you how you have problems. Relationships is how you have problems. You start thinking they think. I think they don't like me. I think they're not for me. I think they're, you start thinking about what they think when you don't know what they think. You don't even know what you think and you're thinking about what they think and messing your mind up. This to me, this to me, this valley of Eshkol is the valley, get this, it's the valley of fear. Because fear paralyzes them. Because here they God's like, here's the promise. I want you to move forward. You have a word from me. I brought you to this place. I've delivered you out of sin. I've delivered you out of Egypt. I brought you across the Red Sea. And now I've laid this promise out before you. But look at this. They, they, they saw what was an opportunity as an obstacle and got scared and it paralyzed them. And they were stuck in the valley of fear here 's the third valley the valley of Elah the valley of Elah is famous because this is where a little fourteen year old shepherd boy became famous by taking down a nine foot warrior this is this, this is where David fought Goliath what had happened is the 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 Philistine army and the the army of israel god 's people had had come together right now i'm sorry anyways um but one and one. One is three. Never mind. Anyways, um, so they had come together in this valley and it says, and we'll read it, but Philist- the Philistines are in one place. The Israelites on the, on the other side, there's a valley between them and, and they're stuck. Where are they stuck? Let me show you this. Saul, and ca- Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. This is 1 Samuel 17, verse 2. Now verse 3. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite Heels with the valley between them. And Goliath stood and shouted a taunt. And so here's what happens. Goliath starts taunting. Now what happened? They decided we're going to settle this battle, not by having the armies fight, but by having a champion from each army fight one-on-one hand-to-hand combat. And it's a winner take all. If their champion wins, they, the, this army is defeated. If the other champion wins, the other army is defeated. And so it's a one-on-one battle to the death. And so the, the Israelites send out Goliath. Goliath is huge. He's like over nine foot tall. He's a giant, trained in war, enormous guy. And he's shouting, "Hey, where's your champion?" And Israel looked around, and all of a sudden, their champion couldn't be found. He had irritable bowel syndrome and he was hiding somewhere. I don't know where he went. They were supposed to have one. And then David shows up and he says, hold up. Why are we doing anything about this? And he said, I'll go out and fight because David understood what the advantage was because he could see something no one else could see. And that was he could see that that man was not circumcised, meaning he did not have a covenant with God. And he was actually against God. And David said, I don't have to fight the battle. I just have to show up. If I'll show up, God will fight and he will lose and we will win. And so he met Goliath in the valley of Elias, the valley of conflict. It's the giant you're unwilling to face. There are times in this life where you face your own Giants. And your giant may be depression, your giant may be addiction, but we all have a giant to face, and it brings us to the Valley of Elah, the fourth valley, the fourth valley, write this down, the fourth valley is the Valley of Baca. Psalm 84.5 talks about the Valley of Baca. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Look at this, as they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Autumn rains also cover it with pools. What's the Valley of Baca? Well, as as the psalmist is telling us, the Valley of Baca is, is a real valley, and if you went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, if you went to the holy city, you would have to pass through the Valley of Baca. It was arid, it was dry, it, it was a wasteland, it was like a desert. And what did it symbolize? It symbolized loss, weeping. In fact, the Valley of Baca is known in Scripture as the Valley of Weeping. It's a place of loss, and it's a place of barrenness. And what he says, you live life long enough, you're going to go through a place of loss and you're going to go through a time when you're saying, you know, I'm doing everything right. I'm trying to get to the holy city. I'm trying to get to Jerusalem. I'm tr- Here I am trying to follow God and I am in a dry and barren place. And although I'm doing everything right, I'm tithing, I'm giving, I'm serving, I'm loving, I'm going, I'm helping, I'm doing it. And yet there is no fruit to be found. It is barren. It is without fruit. And I'm saying, God, I'm doing my part. God, where are you at? It's also a valley of loss if you live long enough. If you live long enough, you're going to lose. Maybe a relationship, maybe a business, maybe a company, maybe, maybe a loved one, but you're going to lose somebody. And it's going to feel dark and it's going to feel dry. It's just part of life. It's the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys, you see, are the rule, not the exception they're the rule. If you live, you're going to go through valleys. Here's the second thing, though, and this is where it gets good, because if you're like, well, this is depressing. It's all right. It's all right. It's going to get better. Here's the second thing you write down that God can be known even when God can't be seen. Like, I would write that down if I were you, because we are people who love to see. In fact, we feel like if we could see, we'd have no reason to doubt. However, if you could see, you'd also have no reason to believe. Remember doubting Thomas. I believe Jesus is alive when I put my fingers. And Jesus said, you you believe because you've seen. But I'm going to put a little word in here. More blessed are those who haven't seen yet still believe. Yeah, God could show up and do everything your way. You just wouldn't need any faith. And God is never going, can I help you? God is never going to lead you to a place where faith is not required. And I think sometimes we want to live a life without faith because we want to see everything, understand everything, for everything just to go my way, zippity do da. And here's what I can tell you. No matter where God leads you, mountain or valley, he will never lead you to a place where you don't have to maintain faith. So you can, you can know God even when you can't. The psalmist didn't say, if I walk through the valley. He said, when. And then he said, when I walk through the valley, he said, you are with me. What I love about this is I looked up this word just because I thought I was supposed to. Sometimes I just have a hunch. You know, if you're going to follow God, you have to live. I call it the nudge. You're going to have to learn to live by a nudge. Because he's not always going to send you an Instagram post or a or, or, or messenger or a text or an email to explain your next step. And so I looked up this word with. It's just a preposition. But I found out that most of the time in the Old Testament, with is the Hebrew word um, aim, aim, aim. I can't really pronounce it because I'm not Hebrew. So if you're Hebrew and I butchered it, it's okay. God will forgive me. Um, and no, you don't need to give me a lesson in Hebrew because I'm still from East Texas. And so anyways, but that, that is typically the word with. But this word is something different. There's another word called amud. Mood. Amud, mood, I'm means with. Amud means pillar. Column. This word is a combination of those two words. And so what the psalmist is actually saying is, he's actually saying, when I went through the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't have an ethereal understanding that God was supposed to be with me. He said, I felt him as a pillar holding me up right beside me. He was something I could lean on. It wasn't just faith talk. It wasn't just positive thinking. You see, what I found is when you go through a valley, God actually gets closer. It's just so dark you can't see him. And you got to learn to sense him when you can't see him. Because more than God wanting you to see him, he wants you to know him. And sometimes seeing him doesn't help you know him. But when you have to feel around and say, oh, 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 there he is. I lean on that right there. He is. Then you have found him even when it is. When you can't see him. This is what Psalm 34 verse 18. It says, God is, look at this, look at this, near to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues Those who are crushed in spirit. This is what you need to understand. This is what I know. This is what I have lived. This is my experience is that when life is the darkest, God is the closest. When it gets dark, God gets, gets close. Uh, This is what David is telling us in Psalm 23, because in Psalm 23, you may not have caught it when we read it the first time. But if you look at Psalm 23, we'll, we'll read a few verses here. I want you to notice that the changing of the usage of a pronoun. It's just a pronoun, just one pronoun, but he makes a substitution in pronouns. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look at this. He, he, right? He said, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path and brings honor to his name. Verse four, our text, watch this. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff protect me you prepare a table before me do you see that like he is he is reflecting on his relationship with God through the different terrains of life if you will all the topographical experiences that he's had in the and this is what he says, he says, and he's like talking to us, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, he makes me, he leads me, he and then he gets to verse four and all of a sudden he can't contain it. He says, But Lord, you were close. Your rod protected me. Your staff gave me comfort. You prepare. In other words, here's what David was saying. I may exalt God on a mountain, but I experience God in a valley. He said, oh yeah, I saw him at the green pastures and I saw him at the still waters, but when it got so dark, I couldn't see him. I had to sense him, but I found a pillar standing with me that I could rest on and I learned some things about God and I experienced God in a way that I would have never experienced him on a, when I couldn't see, I could still sense and he was close beside me. You know, there's a guy in the Bible that went through a valley. His name was Elijah. He's a prophet. Old Testament prophets sometimes did some really interesting things, like laying naked on one side for however many days. And I mean, they did weird stuff. But it's always God speaking to make a point. You got to understand the gift of the prophetic. Everybody wants the gift of the prophetic, but the burden of the prophetic we don't ever talk about. Like, I, oh, I want to see. and Well, here's the thing. You don't just get to see what you want to see. You don't just get to hear what you want to hear. Because when God gives you supernatural spiritual senses, while it gives you the ability to see and hear and to understand things and things about God, you also had to filter through all the demonic activity that you all of a sudden are sensitive to as well. But anyways, this prophet named Elijah walks into the king's office named ahab they weren't friends don't really know if they hung out doubtful he just walked in and said it's not gonna rain till i say it's gonna rain and walked out and i think the king was like maybe he was caging he said who that?" you know it's like who was who was that i don't know but for three and a half years it didn't rain Three and a half years, there's a drought. And this is when, then finally God speaks to Elijah and says, okay, it's going to rain, but I want you to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal. So all these false gods and false altars. And so essentially it culminates on Mount Carmel. and, and, And so the prophets of Baal are over here. And, and, and Elijah's over here and they both have, they both have their altars with their sacrifices and they've decided whichever God answers by fire is the real God. So Elijah said, you know what? I'm going to give y'all home court advantage. Y'all go first. You get the first ball. So you go ahead. There it is. And so they start calling out for bail and they're like going all day. And then I like Elijah because Elijah has some, he had a little bit of what I think is in me. Because he starts making fun of him. And he starts saying, You know what? He's probably just deaf. Maybe, maybe if you got a little louder. And then he finally said, I don't know. Maybe he's just busy. Then he finally said, You know what? He's probably in the bathroom. Probably in the bathroom. But if you'll wait until he's finished squeezing the charm, and he'll come right back out. <laughs> and, and he'll be able to help you with his sacrifice. None of this is scripted, anyways. And so, and so, so finally they're like, Elijah, you're going to try. And Elijah just prays, God, this is all your deal. Answered by fire. And then, and then, then he goes, savage prophet. Because then he kills all the prophets of Baal with a sword. He went, psycho Billy Ninja on them. You understand what I'm saying? So he calls out fire, then kills all the prophets. This is a mountaintop experience. But then Jezebel finds out, that's Ahab's wife, Jezebel. There's always opposition to revival. Always opposition to a move of God. And she says, you know what? Let the gods kill me if by tomorrow I haven't killed Elijah. And Elijah, who was just on the mountaintop of Carmel, going savage on the prophets of Baal, pulled a sweet brown, and he ran for his life. He didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. He ran. And he, he, gets, he gets, I love sweet brown. Anyways, he gets he gets, he gets, gets to Beersheba, and he has his entourage stop, and then he goes um, like a, a couple of days in, into the wilderness, and then he's tired, and an angel shows up with some cake, And says, eat some cake and take a nap, which I think is good advice for anyone in ministry. It should include cakes and nap. And so he has some cake and a nap and cake and a nap, and then he runs all the way to Mount Horeb. And now he's, check this, now he's on a mountain but still in a valley. You know, sometimes we don't want other people to know that we're in a valley, so we make it look like we're on a mountain. we tell it's all right right sometimes people don't know that we're in a valley because it looks like we're on a mountain well you know marriage is good kids are good and and finances are okay it's just i'm so depressed i can't get up in the morning but i won't tell anybody because they might think i don't have any faith so here i am in a dark valley but it looks like i'm on a mountain so i'll just keep pretending i'm on a mountain so no one has to know i'm in a valley now he is on a mountain but still in a valley because he's telling God, isn't it interesting how quick you can go from mountain to valley? One day, psycho Billy ninja. Next day, running from a woman. And I'm not saying women aren't dangerous because they're more dangerous than men. But I'm just saying, if you just slayed hundreds of men and one queen says, I'm going to kill you, You ought to be like, bring it on, sister! Go Mortal Kombat up in here. Just saying, anyways. It's it's interesting how you could be on a. It's interesting you be on mountaintop one day, and one phone call later, you're in a valley. That crazy. But now he's on a mountain, but still in a valley. And he's explaining to God what we would never tell God if we were in a valley. We would never talk to God like this, talking about, God, you ain't done what you're supposed to do. And I'm all by myself. And I don't know where you've been, but you left me out here. Some woman crazy trying to kill me. I'm running for my life. God, I thought we had a deal. I only did what you asked. I know we would never, we would never have a gripe session and call it a prayer life like that. <laughs> but that's what he's doing. He's a prophet. And all of a sudden God says, "I'm going to show you something, boy." And check this, all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's a wind so violently it shakes the mountain. And then there's an earthquake that shakes everything. And then there's a fire. Isn't that sometimes how valleys feel? Like everything's being shaken, everything's being torn up, everything's being burned up. Is there going to be anything left? And Elijah just stands there and said, God wasn't in any of that. But all of a sudden, the Bible says he hears a still, small voice and throws his cloak over his face. I looked that up because I thought there has to be more to it. And you know what? When you look up still and small and voice, do you know the picture is that it is God speaking. But essentially, God was so close when he spoke that he whispered and Elisha felt the breath on his face. He didn't see him. Never says he saw God. But he felt him. He sensed him. I'm telling you, when, when you can't see, You can still sense. And there are other ways to know God that aren't seeing. And the darker it gets, the closer he gets. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Shadows are proof that there's light. When I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't walk through death. It was just the shadow of it. How many shadows have you walked through? I didn't walk through divorce by God's grace, but I walked through the shadow of it. What have you walked through the shadow? Here's what he said. There's a shadow. Now, what does it take for something to cast a shadow? It takes Light. And this is what he's saying. Hey, when I walked through the shadow of the valley of death, you were there. And I know you were there. I could sense you. And even though I couldn't see you, death was cast in a shadow, which means there had to be light. That you are the light in shadow valley. Hosea 2 verse 15 is prophetic promise to Israel. They were acting up. I know you don't ever act up, but they were acting up. And this is what God says through Hosea. He says, and there I will give her her vineyards. Watch this. And make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Now, you got to read the bible to understand what this is saying but it's a prophetic word to israel saying this in the valley of accor what, what is the valley of accor accor means trouble in the valley of trouble i put a door of hope like this is the promise of god the promise of god is that in every valley there's a door of hope how do i know that what does that look like well I love the terminology in the Bible because God, I think, is planned and specific. And He said, I'll put a door or a gateway, but He said, I'll put a door of hope. And when I saw that, I immediately thought about, okay, I'm talking about shepherds and I'm talking about doors. John chapter 10 talks about the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And verse 9 of John chapter 10, Jesus very clearly says, I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture i am the door i did a little research because i want to understand the significance and i found out that shepherds would lead sheep into in valleys and sometimes plains areas but they would lead sheep And they would build a a sheep fold or or, or a pen, if you will, out of rock, stones, whatever they could find. But interestingly enough, they would make a big circle and they'd get all the sheep in there and they'd leave a little opening. And they would say, this makes the sheep safe. Now, you and I would be thinking, there's an opening. Anyone wants in, they go in. Anybody wants out, there's an opening. But then I understood that shepherds would put the sheep in there for safety and then they would lay down in the opening and the shepherd would then say, I am the door. And if anyone wants to get the sheep, it's over my dead body. But if the sheep want to go out to green pasture, they just have to pass through me. They just have to follow me out. But I am the door. And what Hosea is saying is that in every valley of trouble, the good shepherd is a door. And and John 10 goes on to say, and the thief comes, he's trying to get over the fence a different way. And he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy, but he's got to come through me. But he's saying, I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly and so here's what he's saying in the valley of your trouble there is a shepherd who is a door and if you'll stop focusing on how dark it is and start sensing where the shepherd is you can step into the door step through the door of the shepherd into green pastures do you know what i learned about shepherds and sheep is that shepherds will lead sheep through a valley and sheep don't like it because it's dark and there's shadows they don't like that business because they can't see very well. And and also there can be predators and thieves and robbers and all that kind of stuff. And sheep don't have a lot of defense mechanisms. I I mean, it's bad. And so they don't like it. But do you know why shepherds will lead their sheep through a valley? It's because in the summer months when it's hot and it hasn't rained a lot, all the precipitation actually gets collected at the base of the valley. And many times the darkest valleys yield and give way to the greenest to the greenest pastures. So they will lead their sheep through a dark valley because it's the only way to get to a green pasture. Do you know can I tell you something else about valleys? They're temporary. That's why I always don't make a permanent decision in a temporary valley. I was talking, uh, one of our pastors came the other day and, and he was working with a couple and, and, um, and, and he came to me and he said, hey, I just want to get a, a read on what you think about this. And, and this one of the people in this relationship was moving to make a pretty permanent decision. And I said, why are they hurrying to make that decision? He said, I don't know. I said, that's the question I would ask. There's no need to hurry to make that decision. Give it time. There's nothing wrong giving it time and giving God room to work. Why would we make a very speedy, permanent decision in what could be a very temporary valley? And you know what else I thought? I thought, listen listen to this. Valleys are temporary, but glory is permanent. Because in the valley is an opportunity to see Glory like you've never seen. John 9 tells the story of a man born blind. You, what, how dark was his valley? He was blind. And the disciples, they had been taught by stupid people that were highly religious. Or maybe it was high, highly religious people that were stupid. It's hard. Sometimes it's confusing. Anyways, they had been taught, and they had been taught that if you're going through something, it must be because of your sin. Right? Right? And even though sin can put you in a valley, there's a lot of ways to be in valleys that have nothing to do with doing anything wrong. Just ask Elijah, right? And so Jesus says, that is so dumb. I can just say, you are so dumb. Better hide your kids. Hide your... (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyways, but he said, he said, he's not born blind because of someone's sin. Check this. His valley has nothing to do with sin. His valley has to do with seeing, not physically, seeing the glory of God. His temporary valley is going to lead to the lush pasture of a revelation of the glory of God. And Jesus heals him and then he can see and it starts a revival and at the same time starts a riot but what you need to understand is just like david said i'd have never known him if i hadn't walked through if i never had a problem i wouldn't know he could solve it if i'd never been in want, i wouldn't know he could supply it right if i'd never been sick i wouldn't know he could heal it right if i'd never been bound i wouldn't know he could free me you see sometimes you got to walk through some valleys to see some glory and even though the valley may be temporary the glory is for The reason, let me tell you, most of the faith that I operate on today was not formed on a mountain. It was forged in a valley. It was walking through some stuff. And when I couldn't see, I could sense him. When I wasn't sure, I found him. When I didn't know, he showed me. The faith that I operate wasn't mountaintop faith. I praise God on the mountaintop. But the faith I have was formed in a valley. Do you know how I know Jesus is the door in every valley? Because Jesus knows what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you remember where I said the Kidron Valley or the valley of the shadow of death is? It's it's east of the temple mount between the temple area and the Mount of Olives. Do you know what's on the base of the Mount of Olives? The Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had his last prayer meeting with his disciples before he was arrested by a friend. Do you know where they took him? To the temple area. Do you know what he had to walk through? The valley of the shadow of death. On the night he was betrayed by a friend, after he had washed his feet, by the way, and then his friend kissed him, And they took him into custody and they led the good shepherd like a sheep through Shadow Valley to try him in kangaroo court for our sin, to convict him of our crime, to condemn him to our death and to nail him to our cross. He walked through the valley of the shadow, our, our shepherd we have a God who can sympathize we have a high priest who is familiar with our shortcomings and failures and everything that we're going to walk through who can sympathize with our weakness who was in every way tempted such as us but without sin our shepherd walked through shadow valley he walked through the valley of the shadow of death came out on the other side three days later he arose and now he is the door of hope in every valley of trouble If you're in Sin Valley, He is your righteousness. If you're in Fear Valley, He is the Prince of Peace. If you're in Conflict Valley, He is our victory. If you're in the the Valley of Baca, if you're grieving and barrenless, He is the Comforter, Isaiah 61 says. He comforts those who mourn and gives us the oil of joy and gladness and beauty for ashes. He is the door in the Valley of Trouble. Amen. I just think we ought to praise him one more time. Can we just praise him one? (laughs) Why don't you stand with me?